First off, it's great to see a number of faces of people that we've engaged with over the course of this project. And in many ways, the project is a kind of an accumulation of all of those voices and perspectives. So, so as Rachel said, it would be great to have an open discussion and it would be great to bring a lot of your perspectives through. Um, to begin, I'll give a brief overview of the project. We were generously supported by the Open Society Institute in Brussels to carry out a project called Integration What Works. The project aimed to explore the challenges of evaluating integration and achieving success in integration. And part of this process has involved exploring how success is defined at a number of different levels along the delivery of integration. So at the government level, at the trust and foundation level, and at the NGO level, or the practitioner level. We also sought to gather best practices in the field and learning points from several EU countries. So we focused on the UK, Germany, Sweden and the Netherlands. And finally, the project aims to set out a series of methods for evaluating integration. Our final report is not quite ready yet, um, but we'll be launching it in the new year. So you can expect a bit more in that report, but for now I'll be delivering some of the preliminary findings. In terms of methodology, we began by commissioning a background paper which set out a series of, of approaches to, to integration across Europe, and this was written by Nick Johnson, who's a research fellow at the Smith Institute. Um, it's available on the back table if you haven't already picked one up. Um, we also held a workshop last April um, with a, a series of experts who were working both at the policy and delivery levels, um, and we published a summary report that came out of that event, and that's also available at the back. Um, we then carried out case study visits across the four countries, and this involved over 25 interviews with, with individuals working at the government level, at the trust and foundation level, and at the NGO level. So I'll move on to the actual findings themselves. So there are, there are mixed views across Europe as to what integration is, as to what its aims are, its focus groups um, or target groups, and its end goals. And there are also competing schools of thinking as to how we achieve integration. So we've seen endless debates about multiculturalism. Um, now we're seeing a kind of a new discussion about interculturalism in the UK, um, as well as contact theory. Um, there, these differences are not just present across countries or between countries, which makes cross-country evaluation incredibly challenging. But these differences are also present within countries. So politicians, policymakers, and NGOs often have competing ideas of how we should be achieving integration and how it's defined. And this leads to a number of challenges in relation to evaluation. In this presentation, I'll, I'll set out two key challenges. The first is a lack of policy coherence, and the second is the intense politicization of the issue. And I'll mention how these, in particular, impact our ability to evaluate and to achieve success in integration. So the first challenge is, is um, lack of policy coherence, and most, most countries struggle to design coherent integration policies. There's often no single ministry responsible for delivering integration, and this means that targets are often not set in a coordinated manner. Data is not collected in a reliable or structured way, which leads to a lack of infrastructure for reliable monitoring or of integration out outcomes. In the UK itself, we have UK, UKBA, responsible for refugee integration and settlement. DCLG has typically led on community cohesion, and now we have the Department for Culture, Media, and Sport um, as of last month, which is now responsible for equalities. Different European countries also adopt a variety of definitions for integration or have no definition at all. So, for example, despite proclaiming that integration is one of the most important domestic tasks, Germany has yet to, to offer a kind of comprehensive definition of integration. 
and likewise there's no comprehensive integration strategy articulated in the UK. When there's no uniform language that's used across regions, departments, um, different levels of policy, interpreting and collecting data can be quite difficult. The third is a disagreement as to who should be the focus of integration policies, so a disagreement on target groups. Many integration policies in Europe have targeted migrant communities, but define these in very different ways, so oftentimes they fail to take into account length of stay, nationality, circumstances of migration, all of which have, have impacts on the pace and rate of integration and, and impact the particular challenges that are encountered by particular groups. In the UK, as many of you know, the focus on ethnic minorities rather than migrants has tended to inhibit um, the development of policies specifically targeting migrants. Um, and despite, that's despite numerous evidence that suggests that these groups have immediate and d direct needs um, for support. And there's also general agreement by policymakers and practitioners that integration is a two-way process. This is kind of generally accepted across policy and practice. However, this has yet to be reflected in actual programs that are deployed on the ground. Not least, it, it is also not reflected in the selection of target groups. So the majority of the focus of integration programs and, and, um, and initiatives are almost entirely on measures for minority populations. I should also really quickly mention that the two-way process or the reciprocal process of integration has yet to be explicitly monitored anywhere in Europe. The second set of challenges is due to the intense politicization of the issue. So integration has become an incredibly politically charged area of policy. It's often used by politicians for their own ends and often used to evoke emotional responses from the public. And this affects the ways in which policy is delivered and limits the ways that we can evaluate policy. This is because policy or the political debate, sorry, not, not policy, but the political debate on integration tends to be based on knee-jerk responses to often unrelated perceived concerns or perceived problems. So this has, in some countries, led to integration being, fr being framed as an issue of national security um, at, or as an issue pertaining to particular problem communities. So in the UK or in Germany, we've seen the focus in, in recent years has been on Muslim communities in relation to a perceived um, concern about extremism. Discussions about integration are thus hampered by short-term visions, and it's about, it tends to be about the need to solve the latest crisis rather than addressing longer-term challenges. The reality is that much of our work in integration will only come to fruition over the course of many generations, so we need a much longer-term vision for both design and evaluation of integration. There has also in recent years been a shift towards an assimilationist rhetoric in, in the political domain. It's almost a kind of step backwards in many ways. But um, this shift has basically been a shift towards a discourse where newcomers are expected to adapt to a dominant national culture. So the language has shifted from one that emphasizes rights and duties um, to one that emphasizes obligations on the part of migrants. And this shifts the responsibility to integration onto minorities themselves, and it fails to take into account structural or external factors. The third is that there's, which is no, um, I'm sure everyone knows this already, but there's a, a complete lack of comprehensive data on the broad range of integration outcomes. The reality that is that in evaluating integration, many countries focus on the structural elements of integration, so performance in the labor market, um, in the education system. These elements are easier to quantify, and there are often um, associated data sets readily available in a number of countries. However, the public and political debate on integration, the politicization of the issue, has focused largely on the more nebulous 
sociocultural elements of integration, so identity, social participation, cultural values, perceptions, belonging, trust, etc. And these are all elements which governments find much harder to evaluate. Where evidence is available, it's often been used in inappropriate ways, so in ways that have served to polarize public opinion or that entirely misjudge the complexity of public opinion. I'll move on to some key learnings from our research. So I'll set out a number of learning points, um, and I'll focus on two main points. The first is the need to recognize the limits of policy, both in terms of delivery and evaluation of integration. And these limitations can largely be addressed by changing the ways in which governments engage with NGOs and civil society. So as I mentioned earlier, policy tends to be inflexible, short-term, and can shift with new leadership or changes in political circumstances. And while the public and political debate has twisted and turned over the years, practitioners in every focus country that we visited noted that they simply adopt a get-on-with-it attitude, and they continue to do their work to their best ability. NGOs and direct service organizations are much more flexible than government departments. They work with wider constituencies than those defined by policy. They continually evaluate and reevaluate their work, and this is done on a daily, a weekly, a monthly basis in many organizations. For example, it's done through daily ex- sharing of experiences and challenges. This was done um, on a daily basis by the Three Face Forum in the UK. Um, through weekly problem-solving sessions to identify new issues and where gaps can be filled. That's done on a weekly basis by Migrant and Refugee Communities Forum in the UK. Um, and some, some new initiatives have come directly out of those brainstorm sessions. It's not done in a scientific or an academic way, but it's a learning process that's vital to deciding where priorities lie, creating innovative solutions, and achieving more successful outcomes. And needless to say, as a result of of public budget cuts, many civil society organizations are operating on reduced budgets, and there's a need for government to invest in longer-term initiatives and recognize where civil society is better placed to achieve longer-term outcomes. On that same note, governments often lack the relationships and community (coughs) confidence that's required to achieve their aims. Practitioners in every country that we visited unanimously agreed that building trust between and within communities is an integral part of the integration process. And these organizations naturally build these kinds of relationships. They do it on a daily basis. Um, It's operationalized in a range of ways through decades of work with communities, facilitation of community hubs, local meeting spaces, provision of basic services, and the testing of inter-community dialogue methods. Some organizations are doing all of this at once. I'm sure a number of people in this room are doing all of those things at once. Um, Governments need to invest in the kinds of activities that foster these relationships that are lacking at the government level. They need to recognize that actually the provision of basic services is a cornerstone to building this kind of trust. So this includes legal advice, employment advice, um, individual support for the vulnerable. These are often the first to be cut when there are public budget cuts. Um, The success of more targeted integration policies really relies on investing in in these kinds of relationships. The third is um, that governments need to recognize that many elements of integration simply will not be quantifiable, particularly the socio-cultural elements, um, which, as I mentioned before, includes identity, social participation, values. However, there's a need to recognize that service delivery organizations and NGOs are repositories for intelligence and data related to integration, and not just on the socio-cultural elements. So there's a need to recognize data that's typically not valued in the evaluation process. It's not scientific or academic, um, but personal testimonies, small-scale figures, best practices in the field, 
it's important that we have channels, that we establish channels for this knowledge to feed into the policy process and that we tool up NGOs to gather this knowledge in a transferable and useful way. Governments and donors can, can promote this kind, of, this kind of process. They can request, collate, and publish the learning points from the projects that they fund. Um, they, they often have extensive reporting processes that organizations are, spend a lot of time to, to build, build up a kind of report that they hand to their funders. And rather than just having those reports sitting in a pile in a, in a trust or foundation or government office, we can use that information in a more productive and helpful way. Um, this often requires the time, the time to collect that data, requires time and resources, and many organizations who are working with government funding noted that if it's not a government priority, they simply don't have the time or space to do it. Shifting to a learning-based approach to evaluation would be appropriate given the scarcity of data, particularly in the field of integration, and we need to incentivize honest and critical assessment about what doesn't work in integration, so we need to recognize failures and use them in a more productive way. Um, I've talked about a number of limitations to policy in achieving and evaluating integration and how governments can fill these gaps by changing the ways in which they work with civil society organizations. I should make clear that this is not to advocate for a shift in responsibility of, on integration to the voluntary sector. It's more about the dynamics and the relationship between funders and their, the organizations that they're funding or governments and NGOs. Now I'll move to one last set of learnings. Um, and this is about... Um, well, despite the limitations of policy, there are a number of ways in which policymaking can, can be enhanced and can, be, can have a greater impact. So the first is through more coherent national policy frameworks, and this goes particularly for countries where responsibility for integration lies within different departments or different administrative levels. An example is the Swedish government, which has set out a comprehensive integration strategy. The overarching goals of the Swedish integration strategy are inc increasing supply and demand of, of labor and improving educational achievement and equality in schools. So it's very much focused on the labor market and on education. The lesson learned from this is that governments can build a more coherent narrative on what they're trying to achieve in integration, and this should be accompanied by clear quantitative sub-goals within that broader narrative. So there are lessons from the trust and foundation level that can be applied to, on this. For example, the Mercator Foundation in Germany, they've set its goals in numbers, so they have a stated objective of reducing inequality in school and university qualifications by 70% in Germany from 2005 to 2025, for people of migrant origin aged 15 to 30. So that's a very specific goal, but there's a realistic understanding in setting that goal that it will be difficult to attribute any positive changes to any particular initiatives, but the presence of those goals helps to provide a focus for tracing progress towards a wider societal aim. So this is all the more important, especially as integration becomes mainstreamed, a trend that we've seen in the Netherlands, in Sweden, perhaps a bit in the UK. The, the second point is that Governments need to review their target groups and recognize the fact that societies and the needs of communities change and shift from time, well, over time and from place to place. Target groups should be able to reflect those changes in new arrival groups, local challenges, communities that are experiencing new problems. Um, they should be informed through close partnership and discussion with NGOs, with local organizations, local authorities. National policy really just needs to keep pace with the, re with the rea reality on the ground. Some countries have been quite flexible in setting their target groups. An example from the Dutch context, the Dutch government has shifted its targets for integration over the last 10 years to reflect changes in the migration patterns that have come to the Netherlands. 
Similarly, if integration is to be understood as a two-way process, then policy should include both non-migrants and migrants as target groups for integration programs. The last point that I'll make um, is that governments should be aware of the ways in which mainstream policies can have unintended impacts on integration outcomes and should look for ways to integration-proof them. Um, I should mention integration-proof is a term that's used in the Netherlands quite a bit, so I've, I've taken that term. Um, but there are examples of this approach in Sweden and the Netherlands. Um, the Dutch Ministry of Interior, for example, has launched the Diversity in Youth Policy Program, which aims to ensure that migrant youth profit equally from all mainstream public youth services, and they closely monitor which minority and majority groups are receiving and benefiting from support. They call this monitoring the intercultural quality of mainstream policy, and they're currently devising a measurement framework for this. There should also be further investigation of how structural policies, so um, housing, labor, education, health policies, how those can impact the, it, the cultural and behavioral elements of integration. Mainstreaming, I'll just end by saying that mainstreaming again relies on coherence across governments, um, but there are signs, there are some signs that this type of approach may deliver more outcomes, more successful outcomes for a wider society.